1983 was one of the most memorable and challenging years of my life. In January of 1983, Lisa's mother died of cancer while we were planning our wedding. So that was a very, very difficult time. And then on May 21st, 1983, we got married. Now that was the good part of the year, the memorable part of the year. In August of that same year, August of 1983, just a few months after being married, we moved to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary. Everything we owned was packed in a little Plymouth Champ. Do you all remember the little Plymouth Champ? Everything we owned was packed in a Plymouth Champ. We had $750 in our pocket as we set out for Fort Worth, Texas. That seven, we didn't have any jobs waiting on us in Fort Worth. We just had $750 and we headed out, out west. Once we got there, uh, by the way, that $750 paid for our trip out there. It paid for our first month's rent. And it, it, it was what we lived on until one of us got a job. And so that was a challenging time to move away from home and just brand new husband and wife and, and uh, all that involved in that move and not having jobs. But God was faithful. And then in early December of that same year, a seminary friend asked if we were flying home for Christmas. We explained that we'd be spending our first Christmas together as husband and wife in Fort Worth. We didn't say we didn't have the money, but I'm sure they put two and two together. A couple of weeks later, that same friend asked me to meet him in the laundry room of our little student housing apartment there in Seminary Village. So I went and met him in the laundry room, not knowing what was up about that. And he told me that he was part of a group of seminary students called Gyra. And that they had talked and they had decided that we needed to be home for Christmas, especially this year with Lisa's mom dying and just getting married. And we needed to be home for Christmas this year. And he handed me two airplane tickets so we could fly home. I eventually asked him what Gyra was. He explained to me that one of the Hebrew names for God was Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. I acted like I knew what he was talking about. But I was just the first semester seminary student. Though I'd had Hebrew in college, I had never had uh, any lesson on the names of God. I didn't know about Jehovah Jireh. That was the first time I was introduced to Jehovah Jireh. But I can say to you, since that day, I have seen firsthand again and again, why this is one of God's wonderful names. He really is Jehovah Jireh. Now, I didn't learn that name in a classroom initially. I learned that name through an experience. And typically in the Bible, when God reveals Himself to someone, it's always in the context of a difficult experience. File that away as a reference point. Typically, when God reveals Himself, when God especially reveals a new name to someone in the Scripture, it's usually within the context of a difficult experience. Difficult situations give God the opportunity to demonstrate who He is and thus reveal His name and to reveal Himself as our source of help. That's how we're introduced to the name Jehovah Jireh. It's tied to one of the most moving and powerful stories in the Bible. It's the story that you're probably very familiar with. The story of Abraham who faced the greatest test and the greatest crisis of his life. All the other tests that Abraham's faith endured pale in comparison to this test. And through that experience, Abraham learned a new name for God. 
So I'm going to ask you to open God's Word with me to that text. It's in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. While you're turning there, let me uh, explain to you that we now have these Bible bookmarks available. At all the entrances, you should be able to find one. Uh, these are the names of God that we have covered in this series. Now, there are many other names of God. Certainly, these are not all of them. Uh, there might be another Names of God series later on, maybe next year, part two or something. But these are the ones that we've covered, and we've made this bookmark so that you'll have a quick reference guide as you're reading your Bible. So be sure to grab one of those uh, as you're leaving today, or take as many as you would like. Genesis chapter 22, I want you to notice how this dramatic story begins. The Bible says in verse 22, verse 1, chapter 22, verse 1, sometime later, don't read past that. Don't skip those first three words. Sometime later. In other words, after this long journey of faith that Abraham has walked for 25 years, waiting on a son. Sometime later, after Abraham was taught that God is El Shaddai, as we talked about last week, the, the God who is all-sufficient for every situation. Sometime later, after a hundred-year-old man joyfully held a newborn son in his arms. Sometime later, after years of watching his boy grow up and marveling, just marveling at the special blessing of God. The Word says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, you'll see the word God tempted Abraham. Don't be misled by that word. The word there does not mean temptation, as we would understand it. The Hebrew word can be translated tempted or tested. Most often is translated as tested. But James tells us in James 1.13 that God does not tempt anyone to sin. James 1.13, a holy God could never tempt anyone to sin. Satan is the one who tempts us and draws us into sin. But God will sometimes test us. He will sometimes test our faith to confirm and to grow our faith. And in fact, the New Living Translation translates that verse this way. Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Sometimes God will do that for you. God will test your faith and your obedience. So God tested Abraham in the most devastating way. He asked Abraham to give him the one thing that he loved most, his son. I want you to read the scripture with me, beginning in verse 2. Well, let's start with verse 1 again. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son. I want you to notice this phrase. You'll see it about three times in this chapter. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering and on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Now you need to remember, especially if you were here last week, you probably remember, that Isaac was the promised, long-awaited gift from God. And now, God was asking for him back. It's hard to imagine the trauma of hearing that kind of a command. It's hard to imagine the confusion of hearing God say, I want him back. It's hard to process what must have gone through his mind. Now keep in mind that Abraham not only loved Isaac, but he also needed him. 
Because God had explained to him that it's through your son Isaac, through the promised son, through him I will birth the nations. It was through him I will bless the nations. So God needed Isaac. Abraham needed Isaac. And so Abraham's left in this situation where it doesn't appear like God's making any sense. I don't know if you've ever been there. Sometimes we get in situations and it appears like God's not making a whole lot of sense. His request for Abraham, watch this, his request for Abraham appears to contradict his promise. I don't know if you are an, an NFL fan, but if Abraham had been an NFL coach, he would have wanted to throw a red flag on God. Let me explain it to you in case you don't watch football. Uh, NFL coaches have a red flag that they carry on their person somewhere in their sock or in their pocket. And when a referee, in their estimation, misses a call, they can throw the red flag to say, I disagree with that call and I want you to review the play. Sometimes, perhaps, there are situations we find ourselves in where it would be nice if we could throw a red flag on God. And say, God, I really think you missed that one. God, I really don't understand why you made that call. I really think that's the wrong call you just made. I don't understand why you took him. I don't understand why you didn't heal her. I don't understand why we can't have a child. I don't understand why I I lost my job. And we we would probably like to throw that red flag and say, this doesn't make sense. Abraham knew what that felt like. This was the greatest crisis And the greatest test of his faith he had ever experienced. Now remember, he had faced some crises before. He had faced some great tests of his faith. But this was the greatest crisis and the biggest test of his long life. Isaac had been Abraham's blessing. But God wanted to know which one meant more to him. God or Isaac. Let me pause here for just a moment to clarify why This test was occurring because it's an unusual test, is it not? I mean, you don't read anywhere else in the Scripture where God says, sacrifice somebody. You don't find that anywhere else in Scripture. So why, in this situation, do we find this test? I want to give you two answers to that question. Here's the first one. Human sacrifice was practiced in Old Testament times by the pagan people. There's three or four places you can read in the Bible where, for example, a king was losing a battle, a pagan king. He was losing the battle and he summoned his firstborn son and he sacrificed his firstborn son to the little g-god that he was worshiping in hopes that that would win favor that he could win the battle. There are three or four places throughout the Old Testament where that is just mentioned and it's just a twisted thing. We understand that. And in fact, God hates that very thing. How do we know this? Because in Deuteronomy 12.31, just listen as I read the text to you. Deuteronomy 12.31, God is speaking and it says, You must not worship the Lord your God in, in their way, in the way of the pagans. Because in worshiping their little g gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. And then he goes on to say, They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. So this was a practice. Moloch, for example, was a little g-god that they would burn their infants in the arms of this fire god as a sacrifice to that god. This was something that the pagans did. And so my point is simply this. When God said, sacrifice your son, your only son, on a burnt offering as a sacrifice, 
That was not a new concept to him. That was something he probably was familiar with. Especially because he lived in Mesopotamia. A place that was very pagan. So this was a concept that was familiar to Abraham. But again, why would God ask this if he hates this? That brings us to the second one. God wanted to see if Abraham was willing to let go of the thing he valued most in life. God wanted to see which one he valued most. Everybody look up here for a moment and show you something. If God is going to use you greatly, your hands have to be empty. Can't hold on to anything that's more important than God. Your hands have to be empty. Now in the New Testament language, we would describe it this way. God wanted to see if Abraham was willing to die to self. That's what we talk about in the New Testament. God was wanting to see if Abraham was willing to die to self. You see, the decision Abraham had to make was the decision between his desires and God's desires. It really was a die-to-self decision. Do I give in to my desires and keep Isaac? Or do I give in to God's desires and sacrifice him? It was a lordship decision. Am I willing to die to self? Now, let me make it very clear and very plain. God will never ask you to sacrifice one of your children. But, He may ask you to give up something that is very dear to you in order to follow Him. In fact, Jesus talked about this, did He not? When Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. God was asking Abraham to do that. God was asking Abraham in the Old Testament days to die to his own desires and to, and to completely surrender to the call of God on his life. And it was a big decision. And look what Abraham did. Verse 2, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Mount Moriah, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mount, one of the mountains I will tell you about. The verse 3 is the one that just blows me out of the water. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. It's hard to imagine, but there is nothing in the text to indicate that Abraham hesitated. In fact, when you look at the text, you see just the opposite. You see these three words, early the next morning. Look at that text. Early, and, and it says, I, I didn't put it on the screen, but it says, early the next morning he got up and he actually had to cut the wood that he would use to sacrifice his son. Early the next morning. There's no indication whatsoever of hesitation. Where did Abraham find that kind of faith? Where did he find that kind of strength to follow God so quickly on something that seemed to be so absurd? Well, if you fast forward to verse 5, you get a little hint of the answer. Let's read verse 4 and then verse 5. 
on the third day. In other words, they, it was a three-day journey from where they were to Mount Moriah. Probably about 50 miles. Can you imagine walking three days knowing that the closer you get to that mountain, the closer you get, the, the, knowing what's going to happen when you get there. Can you imagine the agony that must have been? To, to, I, how would you even keep your eyes on the road? I'd be looking at my son the whole time. Thinking about what I was going to have to do when I get there. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now, here's the hint. I want you to see it. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, there's either one of two solutions to the question of we in that verse. Either Abraham was lying to the servants. We're going to go worship, then we're going to come back. Or, Abraham had tremendous faith. I would say to you that the word we there indicates that Abraham did indeed have tremendous faith. And the reason I know that is because thankfully in the New Testament, we have commentary on this text. In Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us insight on what Abraham was thinking. Look at the text on the screen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. There's that phrase again. He was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. This is what was going through his mind. Abraham reasoned, this is what enabled him to do it. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham's faith was so strong that he actually believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. Now, of course, Abraham had never seen a physical resurrection. There's no indication of that whatsoever in Scripture. But he had seen God do a miracle, had he not? He'd seen El Shaddai do the impossible. He'd seen El Shaddai provide. When, when, when God provided Isaac, when God put that baby in the womb of Sarah at the age of 99, he had seen God do a miracle. This was a different problem, but it was the same God. So Abraham reasoned, if El Shaddai can do that, he can give me Isaac back. If he gave me Isaac the first time, he can give me Isaac back. So we pick up the story. Chapter 22, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can I say to you, this is where I would have lost it. As a daddy, this, this is the point I would have lost it. But look what Abraham said. If you mark your Bibles, this would be a good verse to mark. Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
underline that God himself will provide the lamb. Don't forget that. Abraham's walking in faith, believing, son, God himself is going to provide the lamb. We'll come back to that verse in a little bit. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We don't know how old Isaac is at this point. It could be that he was a teenager. Maybe even a young man. We're not sure. But even if he was a little boy, can you imagine what must have been going through his mind? That's another Bible study. That's another time. But watch what happens. He bound his son, verse 9, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. That must have been the sweetest words he could hear when God spoke up again. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. There's that phrase again. Remember it. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13 is the hinge verse of the entire passage. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now there's something very powerful in this verse. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to understand it. I think we're going to put it on the screen. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the first place in the Bible where we see the concept of, look at the next one, the, put the next screen. The concept of substitutionary sacrifice. The first place in the Bible where this is mentioned. The idea of one life being given on behalf of another life. Substitutionary sacrifice. That this this ram was substituted for Isaac and was sacrificed in his place. It's the first place you see this in all of Scripture. It's a picture, ultimately, of what Jesus would do for us. That Jesus ultimately would be our sacrifice. But more about that in just a moment. But here's what I want you to understand. As Abraham saw this ram, and as he sacrificed this ram, and as he looked at his son Isaac, still standing there, still strong, and he still has his boy, and he looks at the blood of the ram that is sacrificed, and he looks at the fire and the ram that is being sacrificed. Abraham decided to mark that place and to commemorate that occasion. And he named that place and he gave God a name. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The name was not a name that God revealed to Abraham, but rather it's a name that Abraham gave to God to signify who God is, but also to mark the place where God did this. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now, look on the screen for a moment. The word Jireh, the Hebrew name Jireh, means to see. This is really good. I hope that you'll focus with me. It means to see. When you combine Jireh with Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, when you put the two together, the compound name means to provide. 
But it has the idea that you are providing because of what you see. God saw beforehand Abraham's need of a sacrifice and he provided one. Some of the commentators actually translate this name this way. God will see to it. I like that. God will see to it. The idea behind the word is God's ability to see the need beforehand and to provide accordingly. It's this idea that you're walking in faith and believing that your God sees the need beforehand and God will see to it that that need is met. Can I get an amen somewhere? That God sees what you're going through beforehand and He will see to it that your need is met. That God sees beforehand what you've endured and He will see to it that your need is met. That is Jehovah Jireh. That's what the name means. And that's why Jesus said what He did in Matthew chapter 6. Remember when Jesus said, so don't worry about what you saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things. And then Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You know why? Because He's Jehovah Jireh. He's able to see what you need. And because He can see what you need before you even need it, He can provide what you need when you need it. Abraham discovered something about Jehovah that day that, he, that changed his life forever. He is not just Elohim. He is not just Adonai. He is not just Jehovah. Abraham discovered about God that day through a crisis time in his life. He is also Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Now, with that as our Background, I want to make two applications for your life and mine. What does all this have to do with us? I want you to see, first of all, the value of immediate obedience. I'm not sure who said this originally, but it really is true. Somebody said, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience. Well, I'm not going to do it now, but I intend to do it. Well, 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 I'm just going to wait and see how things work out. Well, well I'm just, I need to give a little more time. I need to pray about it a little bit longer. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Then they also followed it up with this. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Partial obedience is still complete disobedience. Now, I know that I'm speaking to some people today here or maybe perhaps online. and Maybe you've got your own Isaac. That thing that you want so much that you're actually willing to say no to God. That thing you're holding to so tightly that you're willing to say no to God. The question today for you is, are you willing to die to self and trust God? Are you willing to die to self and trust God completely with your Isaac? You see, some of you perhaps don't know Jehovah Jireh in a personal way because you've never been willing to trust Him and obey. Whatever you're holding on to, whatever it is that, that you got your fingers dug into, God wants to know, do you trust me enough to open your hand? Now, the great part of this story is what happened after Abraham opened his hand. The great part of this story is when Abraham received Isaac back, 
he received even more. So let's keep reading the story. Pick it up in verse 15. The angel of the Lord, after in verse 14, he called the place the Lord will provide. And it says, and to this day, it is said on the mountain, the Lord will be provided. Then it says in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you, have not, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. There it is a third time. You have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Watch this, underline it. Because... You have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me. If you're taking notes, write this down. Abraham's greatest test became his greatest blessing. His greatest test became his greatest blessing. And God longs to be your Jehovah Jireh too. That you'll never learn that the Lord is our provider without obedience beforehand. Which brings me to the second lesson, or the second thing that we can learn from this. God honors our obedience with His provision. You go back to verse 14. I know we've read it a time or two, but we go back to verse 14. Abraham, Abraham learned a new aspect of God that day about God's nature and about God's character. And he didn't learn it in a classroom. He learned it in a crisis. Let's read it again, verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. It's important to note, before we go any further, it's important to note that you and I sometimes need to make sure that we do not limit Jehovah Jireh to financial blessings. Sometimes people will say, well, Jehovah Jireh gave me that car. Or Jehovah Jireh provided that house. And that's true. Jehovah Jireh, God does meet our needs. He provides things for us like that. But if you look at the text, Jehovah Jireh in Genesis 22 did not provide any type of financial blessing. Jehovah Jireh in, in chapter 22, it, it emphasizes that His ability to provide what we need in order to accomplish God's will. So Jehovah Jireh is not limited to financial blessings, but rather God will supply all of your needs according to His will. That's why Paul said that in, in Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all of your needs according to, his, to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. So whatever the need is, if your need is I need sustaining grace to get me through this trouble, Jehovah Jireh can provide what you need. Or, I need help in my marriage. Jehovah Jireh can provide what you need. Or, I need forgiveness of my sins. I'm here today to tell you, Jehovah Jireh can provide what you need. You need direction in life because you've got some big decisions ahead. Jehovah Jireh can provide what you need. The Lord will provide. Not just financially, but the Lord will provide for every need in your life if you're walking in faith and obedience. But have you ever noticed how this chapter ends? 
I know you're very familiar with that story, a lot of you are. But have you ever noticed the last four verses of chapter 22? When I read the last four verses, it's almost like, why is that even there? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother and she has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother. How do you like that? Uz and Buzz. So if anybody's getting ready to have twins, that might be some names to think about. This is my son Uz, this is my other son Buzz. Kimuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazor, Hildaz, Jidlop, and Bethuel. And we're like, this has been such a dramatic, moving, powerful story. Why is it ending with these verses? Well, look at verse 23. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Moses, who is the author of the book of Genesis, is giving us a hint that Jehovah Jireh is at work again. Remember what it means? The Lord will provide. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Fast forward. Years later, when Isaac grew up and he needed a godly woman, he needed to marry a wife, he needed to marry somebody, and God needed to provide not just anybody for him, God needed to provide the right woman for him, because through Isaac and his, his wife, the nations of Israel would be born. God was going to bless the world through his descendants. He needed a wife. Guess who he met and married? Rebecca. Two chapters, chapter 24, you can read about it. But in chapter 22, we get this little hint. A little hint that Jehovah Jireh is providing. Even when Isaac doesn't know what he needs. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to remember that. Let, let, let me encourage you that Remember that God is at work providing for your needs and sometimes He's at work providing for your needs before you even realize what the need is. He's at work forming and shaping the circumstances of your life before you can even know to ask Him for the need. The whole story is of Isaac and Abraham is an amazing story of the Lord will provide. He provided a, a, a ram to sacrifice in the place of Isaac for Abraham. And at the end of the chapter, he's providing a wife for Isaac when he's still a young boy. And nobody even knows it yet, but Bethuel gave birth to Rebekah. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Now, we can't leave this chapter without bringing to our attention that this whole story really is an illustration of what God has done for us through Jesus. I've told you two or three times now, look at that phrase, your son, your only son. Let's read it again, look on the screen. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Sacrifice. I mean, we've seen it at least three times as well as in the book of Hebrews. That phrase, your son, your only son. That may sound familiar to you because when you go to the New Testament and you read John 3.16, you read these words, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
And in fact, the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, God, Jehovah Jireh, was planning this event. Before the foundation of the world, before we ever knew that we needed it, Jehovah Jireh was at work providing what we needed. You see, let's go back, at least in your mind, if your Bible is still open, go back to verse 14, because there's something there that I found this week that I've never noticed before, and I want to make sure you know it. Chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord, what's that next word? The Lord will provide. I think if I'd been writing that, I would have written it this way. Abraham called that place, the Lord has provided. That would be very good. Good description. The Lord has provided. He provided the ram in place of my son Isaac. The Lord has provided. But that is not what he named the place. He named the place the Lord will provide. In fact, it goes on to say this. And to this day, Moses is writing, Sometime later, long time later, Moses said, And to this day, it is said, On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. If you write in your Bible, you might want to just put in column there, the cross. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Get ready to get happy here. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let me explain this a little further. You see, about 1,100 years, roughly, about 1,100 years after this event in Genesis 22, about 1,100 years after that event, Solomon, the king of Israel, built the very first temple, and guess where he built it? On Mount Moriah. And it is believed to be on the spot where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. On the very spot is the temple mount. We've been there several times. On that very spot where the Temple Mount is today is where the first temple was built. And that's the same spot. That was Mount Moriah. See, in the days of Abraham, there was no Jerusalem. In the days of Abraham, it was just a mountain. It wasn't Jerusalem yet. And God sent him to this spot, this mountain, Mount Moriah. And on top of Mount Moriah, that's where you go sacrifice his son. 1,100 years later, that's where the temple was built. On the top of Mount Moriah. Now fast forward about a thousand years after the first temple was built. About a thousand years later, Jesus was sacrificed for our sins. Guess where He was sacrificed? On Mount Moriah. I'm not saying on the same spot, but it was still on Mount Moriah. All of Jerusalem is located on the top of Mount Moriah. So Jesus was sacrificed in the same area of the mountain where Abraham had started to sacrifice His Son. That's why it says in the text at the end, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Several times throughout the Old Testament, you will see this reference to Jerusalem. Once Jerusalem is established, it is referred to as the mountain of the Lord. That was the name for Jerusalem. The mountain of the Lord. The prophets would sometimes refer to Jerusalem as the mountain of the Lord. Abraham, before Jerusalem ever existed, Abraham called that spot. This is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And then it became such a popular thing that the people began to say, on the mountain of the Lord, 
it will be provided. I'm not saying they fully understood what all of that meant, but God understood what all, all of that meant. And on the mountain of the Lord, He has provided a sacrifice for your sin. He is Jehovah Jireh. He has provided everything that you need to have a relationship with Him. Watch this. This is so good. Watch this. Think about this. He did what He did not allow Abraham to do. Remember, He stopped Abraham as He was about to sacrifice His one and only Son. He stopped Abraham from sacrificing His one and only Son. But God did what He would not allow Abraham to do. God sacrificed His one and only Son. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking one day as he began his ministry, this is what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, and the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's personalize that. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. How is that possible? Because God is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He has provided a way for you to have a relationship with the Holy God. God saw the need before the creation of the world and He provided for that need through the sacrifice of His Son. When I read this verse, look, the Lamb of God, it echo- yeah, that one. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go back. When I read, my fault. When I read this verse, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world can go to the next one now. It echoes in my mind. God Himself will provide the Lamb. God Himself will provide the Lamb. Abraham was speaking about what God was going to do for Isaac. But prophetically, he was speaking about what God one day would do for all of us. God Himself provided the Lamb. So that your sins can be forgiven. So you can have a relationship with God. Because He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Amen. Thank you Father for your provision. Thank you God for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are the God who sees our need. And sometimes before we even know what we need... You have provided for us. You are at work in the circumstances and the events of our lives. And you are providing what we need when we need it. And I pray for anyone here today or someone watching online, God, that their greatest need is to be forgiven of their sins. By the Holy Spirit, would you show them, convince them, you have provided a way for that to be done. You have provided a way that they can be forgiven. You have provided a way that they can be restored to you. You have provided a way to go to heaven. And His name is Jesus. Thank you that you sacrificed your Son, your one and only Son, for us. And I praise you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.